Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Shit happens. Movies bomb. People get hated on. You know, you just got to keep going. And I remember one of my favorite moments. I was at a diner, and this guy comes up to me, and he goes, Nick Swartzen? And I go, yeah. He goes, I just saw Bucky Larson. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Where's this going to go? And he goes, fucking brilliant. And I go, thank you. He goes, I know you're getting a ton of shit for it, but he goes, don't worry. He's like, you were really brilliant. And he's like, stand by that fucking movie and keep your head up. And I was like, I will. (laughs) And that just was like one of the coolest moments. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Industry Standard. Thanks for coming and tuning in. Those of you who've been here before, I really appreciate it. It means a lot that you subscribe and listen and pass it on. And for you first-timers here, I am very grateful that you're here, and hopefully you enjoy this as much as I do. The guest today, Nick Swartzen, phenomenal. We did part one on Monday, and this is part two, and it will not disappoint you. This guy is a huge, huge, extraordinary and unique artist. If you need to reach me, you can go to at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram, and I return every message anybody sends, so please do so, and I will get to you as soon as I can. And as I always like to do, I like to look at my guest and figure out what I'm going to say and how it applies to the podcast. And when I think of Nick Swartzen, I think of a guy who started his passion for what he wanted to do very early in life as a teenager. And he put the hours in and the time necessary to be great at an early age. And when you're great at an early age, If you have the stand-up prowess of a 40-year-old and you're 18 or 19, you're going to garner attention. And for those of you listening who haven't started off early, it's never too late to get started and get moving and make things right. Look at Rodney Dangerfield. He didn't become Rodney Dangerfield until he was 50. But I'm just saying, 
if you think about it and you have a passion for something and you can do it earlier rather than later, get on it, start it, do it, because that's what Nick did and he always worked hard at his craft. It never appeared like he was the kind of guy who got up at six o'clock in the morning and worked till two in the morning. And he was one of those guys that you never knew where he put the work in, when he put the work in, but it was pretty clear that he did put the work in. And he was always great and always ahead of his time and always had things in pocket or in his possession that gave me the perception that he was farther along than anybody else at his stage of the game which was actually very, very true. When you're handwriting a script before your 21st birthday and you're faxing it to Jamie Kennedy and that movie gets made, chances are you're doing something right. And that's one of the things that I have so much respect for him. He always was working hard, always putting things together, always creating, and always, always forging new and great relationships. And when he found a great relationship, he never disappointed them. And I defy you to find somebody who's done as many movies as this guy has done. And all of them are original in their own way. From Malibu's Most Wanted, to The Benchwarmers, to Grandma's Boy, to Bucky Larson. All unique. And all the time also being in huge hundred to two hundred million dollar movies and garnering millions and millions of fans in the television series Reno 911 with that iconic character that he played of Terry Bernardino. This guy from specials to roles in great movies to roles in movies that he wrote and produced. This guy is a force, and he will continue to be a force. And all you have to look at in your career is following the kind of steps that this guy's followed, which is work hard, keep creating, keep going. Even after you're knocked down, things don't go as well. Just keep going. Believe in your talent. Create great relationships with great people and put everything original that you have into what you're doing. Don't be derivative. They might not always go as well as you want them to go, but eventually the next one will. And if that doesn't go, the next one will. But if you keep getting up and going forward and have those wonderful relationships with people that they always want you around, I can guarantee you that you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Nick Swartzen has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. One of the things about you that people don't know, and I witnessed when you were a teenager in your early 20s, you would always come into the Boston Comedy Club, my club in New York, and it always felt like you were doing a new set. 
he just kept writing and writing and writing when all the other comics would go on and do the same shit. You seem to do a new set every week. I was writing constantly. I would write nonstop. And everybody should. If you're a comic, I mean, especially, just write. And also, like, write anything down. Like, any premise, any idea. I would write jokes. There's a fucking joke that I close with. I just did my fifth special for Netflix, which is fucking insane. And I did my fifth special. And the, my closing joke is fucking murders. It's like... And it was a fucking throwaway that I had thought of 10 years ago that I had found in a notebook. And I was like, oh, I remember this. And I didn't know how to do, I, it didn't make sense at the time. But now it's my closing, just this huge closing joke on my entire tour and special. And it was a throwaway that I thought of 10 years ago in the bathroom of the Houston Laugh Stop. And I was opening for David Cross. And I go, hey, I have this idea. David's like, yeah, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and, and I just told it as like a one-liner a couple times and just threw it away, but I'd written in the, in the notebook. So my point being is just write everything down. Just write it, any thought, any premise, anything. It doesn't make sense now, might make sense later. So it's very, very important. But yeah, back in the day, I used to write all the time, all the time. That's one thing... Uh, uh, Diane, who used to run Knuckleheads, which was a comedy club again in Mall of America. And I would go and do my sets there, the open mic. And I would come off stage and I'd be like, oh, wasn't that great? And Diane would go, yeah, that's great. Write another one for tomorrow. I'm like, what do you mean? She was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that was a good set. Write another one. And I'm like, uh, okay. And they would force me. Also, this guy, Dan Krolchek, they would just force me to write. So Dan would go, I'm going to write down three things, do jokes about them on stage. You can't look at them until you get up there. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, then you're not getting any more stage time. And I'm like, fuck. So he would write down a bunch of shit. I would go up there and I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I would just have to like, I would just come up with shit. So they just ingrained in me to like, just keep writing. So that's what I did. That's all I did in New York. I just sat there and write every day. I want to read a quote to you that I love from you. <laughs> the biggest people I've met in this business are the most genuine fucking people. I've worked with Adam Sandler. I've met Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Ben Stiller, Will Ferrell. They're all the most genuine, cool guys on the planet. They're all generally just who they are, but very driven. They know what they want. They're all products of working hard and serendipity. And yeah, there's people who feel pressure to look a certain way. But in the comedy world, funny is funny, and funny always wins. If you're really funny, you're undeniable. If you're funny, people will gravitate towards you and they'll help you. But LA is not a place to come grow and develop. It's not a great city for that grow and develop somewhere else and then come here with your shit together. That was the best advice I ever got was to move to New York instead of LA. And everybody said that. I remember I had, I had all this heat. I was coming off the comedy festival, all this shit. And uh, I remember all these comics. I'm like, I'm going to move to LA. And they were all just like, no, don't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, no. 
They're like, how much time do you have? I'm like, I've got like 15 good minutes. <laughs> and they were like, no, move to LA when you're a fucking headliner. When you have an hour at least, move to LA. That's when you move. You don't move to LA to develop, develop everywhere else, but not LA. And that was the best advice. And I always tell people that, like Minnesota comics, they're always like, I think I'm gonna move to LA. And I'm like, no. I'm like, how long have you been doing it? Two years? I'm like, no. Stay here. It's a fucking great stage time. Just build yourself at work, you know what I mean? Build it up. Then go to LA. It's like you don't wanna, you know, you don't wanna throw yourself in that fucking shit. What happened that told you you were ready for LA? When I signed with ICM, because I was an actor, you know? A lot of comics aren't really like actors. I did your showcase. Barry used to have legendary showcases at the Laugh Factory. I used to do a showcase every year where I would bring out people from New York and invite all the industry, and it was a crazy madhouse. Yeah, it was insane. So I fucking murdered. I always made, <laughs> I always made him give me the best spot, too. I'd be like, put me on third or fourth. <laughs> and so I got off stage after my set and Andy Cohen uh, from ICM was an agent. And I walked off stage, he gave me his card. He's like, you have an agent? I go, no. He's like, we'll sign you right now. He's like, where are you living? I go, New York. He's like, well, that's gonna change. <laughs> so I was like, all right, fuck it. So that's, that was the impetus for me to move to LA. One, one, one two, Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names or some things, and I just want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Could be a word, a story, a sentence, anything. Rob Schneider. <laughs> Rob Schneider. One of my best friends. Love Rob very much. Uh, one of my favorite moments. Uh, I was producing a movie called Benchwarmers. It was my first big movie that Sandler gave me to produce and a co-star in. Adam's like, you're, you're in charge of this movie. This is your movie. I, me and Sandler wrote it. How old were you? 28. <laughs> a $35 million movie. <laughs> so Rob Schneider, bless his heart, can be difficult to work with sometimes. So Rob is on the pitcher's mound. It's a baseball movie. Rob goes, I need a joke. Oh, I want to do a joke. Where's Nick? <laughs> I go to the pitcher's mound. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I want a joke here. I go, all right, why don't you say this? He's like, no. And I go, all right, well, then what about this? He's like, strike two. <laughs> and I go, what about this? And he goes, strike three. And I just go, Go fuck yourself and write your own fucking jokes the rest of the movie. Fuck. And it storms off. And the director, Dennis Dugan, was right there. Rob's like, what the fuck? What got into him? And Dennis was like, that was a little disrespectful. Rob's like, what did I do? Tom Cruise. Sandler did a movie with Katie Holmes. And uh, Tom would show up. It was very, very nice, very nice. And uh, one of Adam and I, my mutual friends from New York, who's very bombastic, he's one of those New Yorkers, it's always loud. <laughs> so Tom Cruise is sitting 10 feet from us. 
And our buddy goes, ask Tom if he's an alien. And I, and I go, what? I go, Sh shut up. And he goes, ask him if he's a fucking alien. And I go, I'm not asking if he's a fucking alien. Shut up. And he's like getting louder. And I'm like, Tom's like kind of looking over. I'm like, and he's like, come on, don't be a fucking pussy. Just go, f he's right fucking there. He's got to be a fucking alien. And I was like, God damn it, shut up. <laughs> Bucky Larson. Bucky Larson is one of my favorite things of all time. We got so, f it was just a softball for critics to fucking destroy me. And they wasted no time. <laughs> zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Zero. <laughs> fucking zero. How is that possible? Because critics are fucking assholes. <laughs> These people that criticize comedy. Comedy is the most subjective thing in the world. It's so subjective. And it's like, you know, they didn't want to find value in any of it. It's like, okay, so you're telling me Don Johnson, Steven Dorff, Christina Ricci, Kevin Nealon. These are all respected actors who love the movie, did it for nothing because they loved it. It's like, you're telling me we're all wrong? We're all wrong. It's fucking insane. That movie's amazing. It's so good. It's so underrated. And there's a, a lot of, there's some dramatic moments in that, too. It's fucking great. It's one of the most fun I've ever had. Will Ferrell. Oh, Will Ferrell's amazing. Um, I did a tour one time with Will, and it was an arena tour. And it was me and Will Ferrell, Zach Galifianakis, and Dimitri Martin. And we did 10 college arenas. It's still the biggest show I've ever played. And uh, it was 25,000 people. It was insanity. And I remember we were backstage, all of us. And um, we would, they would always be filming stuff for Funny or Die. And, uh, you know, we all just had a blast. And Zach pulled his pants down full naked and he was like hey guys is this cool and we just started laughing so I pulled my pants down and hugged Zach naked and then Will just immediately pulled his pants down <laughs> full naked and we just all hugged and it's just that's the kind of guy Will Ferrell is <laughs> He'll, he is not ever going to shy away from pulling his pants down and hugging you he just jumped right in <laughs> 30 minutes or less Oh, 30 Minutes or Less is one of my favorites. That's where I became very close with my brother, Danny McBride. And, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorites. That's an underrated movie, too. Me, Aziz Ansari, Jesse Eisenberg. My buddy Ruben Fleischer directed it. So this is funny. This is 20 years ago. I did a short film with Marilyn Ricecub and Karen Kilgariff. It's called Girls Guitar Club. And they were like, yeah, we're just going to do this little short film. Will you be in it? And I'm like, yeah, of course. So I'm like, who's directing it? And they're like, this guy, um, Ruben Fleischer, this is his first thing. It's a friend of ours or something. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. So he was, that, was, we had, that was the first thing we did 20 years ago. And then we're on set of this fucking huge movie for Sony. And I'm co-starring. He's directing. Ben Stiller produced it. And we just sat there. I'm like, this is weird, right? He's like, yeah. And then a side story. I don't know if you remember this. This is fucking insane.
I was in your office. Vincent, uh, again, one of the managers at the time, hands me a headshot. He goes, will you sign this for a fan? It was the first autograph I'd ever signed. I go, yeah, who's it to? He's like this kid, Jesse Eisenberg. He's Haley Eisenberg's brother. And he's like 14 years old. He saw you on Comedy Central. So I sign it to Jesse. Cut to fucking 15 years, whatever, years later. And I was watching this independent film. And it was like Jesse Eisenberg in the credits. I'm like, I know that fucking name. So I see him on the streets in New York. And I go, hey, Jesse Eisenberg? And he goes, uh, Nick Swartzen. And I go, yeah. I go, what's up? And he's like, hey, I, huge fan. I, I, you signed that picture for me. And I, I had it on my wall for years and years. I still have it. He's like, you know, he quoted my joke still 10 years later. And he was like, yeah, 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 huge fan, huge fan. So I'm on the set of 30 Minutes or Less, co-starring with Jesse Eisenberg in a fucking movie. And it was another one of those things where I'm like, this is weird, right? And he's like, yeah, this is fucking weird. Chris Rock. Chris Rock. Chris, I love. He, uh, I've worked with him several times. Um, two quick things. I'm on the set of Grown Ups 2, which I'm co-producing. And, uh, you know, I'm more of a joke writer producer. So I just help punch up and stuff. And I remember uh, Chris is doing a scene, and I walk up, and I pitch him a joke. I'm like, hey, uh, it'd be funny. What if you said this? And he just stared at me. <laughs> and I was like, or not, or not. <laughs> and I just walked away. No, it was just, like, so hard. Certain people, it's just so hard to pitch them jokes. It's just, like, so intimidating. But Chris is always really sweet. David Spade. David Spade is my, I would say, my top three best friends. Um, I love David very, very much. David and I are very, very close. And, um, I mean, I have a million David stories. One of my favorites is uh, we were in Vegas for the Super Bowl, and he's hitting on some chick. And I'm with my buddy, and he goes, dude, look at David's watch. That watch is sick. It's like, that's like a $50,000 watch. I go, really? And I go, Davey, can I, bar- can I borrow your watch before I had a watch? And he goes, yeah, 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 whatever. So I put it on. I'm like, yeah. So then him and Sandler fly out. And my buddy goes, you didn't give the watch back? And I go, no, fuck it. I'll just wear it for a while. So a couple weeks go by with my buddy. And he goes, does you still have David's watch? Does he know that? And I go, yeah, of course he fucking knows it. He goes, you should probably just tell him just in case. So, okay. So I text him. I go, you know, you know, I have your Rolex, by the way. And he goes, what <laughs> the fuck? I just found insurance. I just got a check for $50,000. He goes, thought it was stolen. I go, oh, so I can just keep it then, right? He was like, no, that's illegal. What the fuck is wrong with you? I go, I don't know. I thought you had it. And he goes, no, I'm going to come by right now and pick it up. I'm like, oh, sorry about that. I gave him a swatch back. <laughs> Terry Bernardino. Oh God. Terry is one of my favorites. Uh yeah, that was my character on Reno 911. And uh one of my favorite stories. Uh the creators of the show, 
Carrie Kinney, Thomas Lennon, Ben Grant. From the state. From the state. Carrie calls me up, and they're like, we have a TV show called Reno 911. We want you to be on it. I go, great, what is it? They go, it's a cop show. I'm like, okay, am I a cop? They're like, no. <laughs> I go, what am I doing? They go, here's the deal. We need you to create a character, a criminal, for us to arrest. We just improvise the entire show. So we need you to create a criminal. I go, okay, what if I'm a prostitute? They're like, yeah, and I'm like, a gay prostitute? Like, fucking super gay. And I'm on roller skates. And they're like, yeah, make it fucking crazy, because this show's going to get canceled right away. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I created the character. And seven years later, I'm, I'm fucking doing this, and a movie. I was like, I thought this was getting canceled. <laughs> they're like, no, it's a hit. And I'm like... Fuck, and they're like, you're the most popular character. I was like, well, it's like I'm not taking these roller skates off for a while. <laughs> the day you knew you made it and you weren't ever going to do anything else but this business. Hmm. Probably when I did Grandma's Boy. Adam Sandler saw me on Comedy Central, and I used to do jokes about my grandma. Sandler was in bed with his wife and saw my special, wrote my name down, came into the office. He's like, does anybody know who the fuck Nick Swartzen is? Has anybody, <laughs> has anybody heard of this kid? And the young guys in the audience are like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the office. They're like, yeah, Nick Swartzen. He was like, okay. They're like, he's funny. He calls his uh, manager. They tracked me down. Like, Adam Sandler wants to meet you. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, bullshit. And they're like, no. So I go in the office, and Adam's like, I saw your special. It was really fucking funny. I go, thanks. We had a lot of mutual connections. Lucian Hold from the comic strip. The late Lucian Hold. The late Lucian Hold, God rest his soul. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Uh, the comic strip was my home club in uh, New York, and it was Adam's home club also. So we just bonded, and he goes, I have a script called Grandma's Boy. It's PG-13. We need it to be rated R, fucking hard R crazy. Will you rewrite it? I heard you're a writer, and I was like, yeah. So I rewrote it, and they were like, him and Alan Covert, who was the lead, they were like, love it. And it was just after that, it was... We made the movie, it became a fucking cult phenomenon. 
And you know, Adam got me bench warmers, and I just started. Then I was just off to the races, you know. Karaoke. Fuck. I sing karaoke sometimes. And uh, one time <laughs> I was singing karaoke, and I fucking got caught up in the curtain behind the fucking stage. Wipe out. Fucking smash my knee. Get drunk, obviously. <laughs> Blackout. Wake up, my knee is fucking huge. It's all purple and fucked. So I go to the doctor, and they're like, Jesus Christ. So they're like, what happened? And I was like, I got uh, drunk and got wrapped up in a karaoke <laughs> curtain and fucking wiped out. And they were like, how old are you? And I'm like, 40. <laughs> They're like, Jesus, man. <laughs> ben Stiller. Oh, fucking Ben's awesome. I love Ben. Yeah, Ben and I, we've never been on camera together, which I'm bummed about. That would be awesome. But Ben was always so supportive of me. Always. And one of the worst was... Uh, he called me up and he was like, I'm doing this movie, Tropic Thunder. I really want you to be in it. I go, okay, I'd love it. He sent me the script. I'm like, yeah, this fucking thing's insane. He goes, yeah, it's gonna be fucking nuts. And uh, Sandler called me two days later. And he goes, I'm doing this movie, The Zohan. Don't mess with The Zohan. I want you to be in it with me. And I was like, when is it shoot? He's like, this, these months. And it was the exact same months as Tropic Thunder. And I was like, fuck! <laughs> so I had to call Ben back. <laughs> I was like, dude. He's like, what's up? I'm like, I can't fucking do the movie. He's <laughs> like, why? Well, I go, Adam called me to do Zohan. And he was like, it's all good, dude. I get it. I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, it's all good, man. Don't worry. I'm like, can you move it? <laughs> He's like, no, I can't move it. I was like, fuck, where are you shooting? He's like, Hawaii. I'm like, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> but Ben was really cool about it. <laughs> and then, he, then he, they put me in 30 minutes or less years later. So Conan O'Brien. <laughs> oh, Conan's the best. Conan, I've done, I've done the Conan show maybe more than any other show. And uh, Conan's always intimidating. He's so smart and he's so funny. And uh, uh, God, he was the only show back in the day. I did it when he used to tape in New York. And that, that was the only show that let me do this joke. And it was my favorite joke at the time. It's still one of my favorite jokes. But it was the only show that let me do it. And the joke is uh, I have a cat and he's sick right now. He has diarrhea. And I took him to the vet, and the vet's like, what have you been feeding him? And I'm like, diarrhea. <laughs> Every other show, no, Tonight Show, no, Letterman, no, Kimmel, no. Every other show, Conan was like, yeah. <laughs> it's the only show that let me fucking do it. Giving away your clothes. Oh. When I used to live in Venice, and I, I was making money, 
and I would sp- I would spend a lot of money on clothes. Now I don't give a fuck. But back in the day, I used to buy all these expensive clothes, and uh, I was moving, so I just decided to just put a garbage bag of clothes in the alley. It was like expensive stuff. This was when I was like wearing diesel shit. So I just put like all this stuff in the alley. And then there's a lot of homeless people in Venice. So then I would go like over the course of weeks and I would see homeless people with like diesel jeans and like a $200 <laughs> diesel jacket. And I'm sure everybody in the neighborhood was so confused. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. One of my favorite moments ever. Spade calls me up. He goes, what are you doing tonight? I go, nothing. He goes, you want to be my plus one at this party? And I go, yeah, what's the party? He goes, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston are breaking up, and he's throwing her a final birthday party. And I go, yeah, this is before I knew Jennifer. I know Jennifer very well now. This is years ago. So I'm at their house. Crazy fucking house, obviously. And I'm in the kitchen, and it's me, Sandler, Spade, Chris Rock, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's talking about his breakup with Jennifer. Adam's like, how are you doing? Are you okay? Brad Pitt's like, I'm just fucking chugging whiskey. He's like, it's been really hard. And, you know, it's just been really, really rough. You know, he's like, I really love Jennifer. And, you know, and he just stops the conversation. And he turns to me and he goes, I'm really sorry, man. What's your name? And I go, Nick. And he goes, I'm Brad. I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself. Uh, Welcome to my home. You can have whatever you want. And I was like, thanks, Brad. He's like, yeah, help yourself to anything. I go, okay. And he just goes back to the conversation about his breakup. But it was like the fucking coolest moment where he was just the most genuine, cool dude. I'll never forget that. Just stops. Hey, what's your name? It was just like, Nick. Trapeze Daredevil. Uh, fuck. Sandy <laughs> Wexler. I played a, a daredevil, and uh, I played a trapeze, uh, like, stuntman. So I started a thing where I got really into doing my own stunts. <laughs> and uh, so Adam's like, there's a lot of fucking shit in this. Like, a lot of stunts. He's like, you're, you're gonna, is that cool? <laughs> like, can you do a lot of this shit? And I go, yeah, fuck yeah. She's like, okay, you have to take, like, trapeze lessons. I'm like, okay. So I take trapeze lessons. And the guys were like, yeah, you're fucking great. Like, so I do all these stunts. The final stunt is me getting lit on fire. <laughs> so the, st- the stunt coordinator's like, here's the deal. We're going to light you on fire. Uh, count to two and then fly off the ledge and we'll put you out. We're going to light your legs. So this is how fucking dumb I am. Typical me. I go, in my head I go, you know what? I'm going to count to five because I want it to look really cool. So they light me on fire. One, two, three, jump! Four, five, now the flames are coming up on my body. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? 
I'm fucking in flames. I just jump off. They put me out. I'm like burning, like hurt. And everybody was like, count to two. I go, I want it to look really cool. They're like, okay, and do you want to die? I was like, yeah, that was a bad idea. They're like, don't do that again. I'm a fucking professional stunt coordinator. I was like, point taken. Point taken. Kevin James. Kevin James is one of my favorite people because I go way back with Kevin. So back in the day when I started comedy in Minnesota, I just didn't have a lot of experience. So I told Dave Becky, my manager at the time, I go, I need to get on the road. Can you do anything? You can get me out on the road. And he goes, yeah, I know this guy, Jeff Wills, who's now the head of Live Nation comedy. Uh, He goes, he's got some clubs. And I go, okay. He's like, yeah, they're the punchlines in Sacramento and San Francisco. So I have no money. My family has no money. I have a $1,000 car. So I'm like, okay, fuck. I guess I'll just drive. So I drive alone across the country. I do the Sacramento punchline. And uh, Kevin James is headlining. This is fucking 22 years ago. Before he's, you know, he was on Star Search, was like his biggest thing. He had a great closing bit of a pantomime of a guy buying a card for his girl. Yeah, he's great. But I remember, uh, yeah, I opened for Kevin. I emceed. And it wasn't even featuring. It was me and then this, uh, some other random fucking dude. And Kevin. And he, yeah, he was one of my first friends in comedy. So people were always like, you know, when I when I started working with Kevin, we started doing movies together and stuff. You know, everybody was like, you know, oh, they always walked on eggshells with Kevin, and uh, Kevin would all he was just. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Always fucking so sweet to me. He'd always be like, Nick! Everybody else, he was like, ugh. <laughs> but it was always like, Nick! He was always, always like, just we never forgot that. We always remember that week in Sacramento. And I had slept in my car they wouldn't put me up. And then I went to San Francisco, and I emceed, and they wouldn't put me up. And I had to sleep in a park. 
There's no more rock bottom than walking around a park and trying to see which bush looks the most comfortable. So I was walking around, sleeping in bushes in this fucking park, and I would go to the club, and I would brush my teeth and wash my hair in the bathroom before the show, and people would be, like, filing in, and I'd be sitting there washing my hair in the sink. It's fucking insane. Last name, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. I mean, I've got a fucking billion stories about Adam Sandler. Um, Adam's, a, again, a brother to me. One of my best friends on the planet. Adam and I get along like nobody else. Like, we just have this, and he would say this too, we just have this connection where we just both make each other laugh so much. It's like, it's, it's a bond that I don't ever, I've never really had. I mean, me and Spade have it, but me and Adam have another, it's just a, another level of connection. One of my favorite moments though, I mean, there's so many, good God. <laughs> One of my favorite moments is like, you know, obviously I'm a fucking partier. Adam's well aware of it. And, uh, so he goes, let's go to Vegas for the Super Bowl. It's the same watch time as with Spade. So I go, okay. So Adam always travels with a lot of people. His manager, Sandy, and, you know, he always like, likes being around and hanging out. So, he, you know, he flies. He's so generous. He flew, like, there's like 15 of us. And we all got suites and everything. So Adam goes, uh, hey, uh, we're going out Saturday. I go, great, what's the plan? He goes, we're getting dinner at 7 at Steakhouse, and then uh, we're going to the club at 9. And I was like, um, that's really early for Vegas. And he's like, no, it'd be great. I'm like, it's really early. We're going to the club at 9? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So we go to dinner, huge dinner. Everyone's drinking, Adam's drinking. We're fucking ripping shots, having a blast. It's like, all right, let's go to the club. So we walk up to the club. It's closed, pretty much. <laughs> but it's, like, kind of open. So they take us up to this section, huge section, bottles and service and everything. They're taking chairs off the table. There's nobody even there. <laughs> and Adam's like, what the fuck is this? And I go, Adam, it's nine. I told you that. Like, it's people. And he's like, fucking motherfucker. Smokes a cigar, has a drink. So then he's like, after like an hour, he's like, fuck this, this sucks. So he's like, I'm gonna fucking bail. I'm like, okay. He's like, you wanna just keep, you can stay if you want. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stay in this entire fucking VIP area. So me and Spade and Adam's like nephews, there was like, you know, eight of us that stayed. And then, you know, the club got crazy at, like, midnight, you know? It was fucking nuts. So we all just get shit ripped hits fucking <laughs> wasted. The next day, Adam calls me at 8 in the morning. And I'm like, oh, I'm so hungover. I'm still drunk. I'm puke. I go, hey. He's like, God, that was a fucking bust last night, right? <laughs> I go, no. No, I got it fucking insane. He's like, what? And I go, yeah. I go, like an hour, two hours after you left, got out of control. And he goes, oh, and I go, yeah, I'm going to fucking barf. 
And he goes, well, I need another person to play basketball. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah, me and some of the Sony execs are playing hoop in like an hour. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. He's like, dude, come on. What the fuck? I go, I went out last night. I fucking stayed. I went out. He's like, dude, come on. We need one more. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so I went and played basketball. I was on my deathbed. Everyone's like, God, you look green. I'm like, yeah, you guys, all you guys went home. You guys, well, I went to bed at like 10. I was out until like four. <laughs> so insane. Your proudest moment in show business? I would say the coolest moment was at the premiere of Malibu's Most Wanted. And sitting there in Man's Chinese Theater, famous, legendary, historic Hollywood theater. You know, Charlie Chaplin's hands are fucking imprinted on it. And just sitting in that packed theater, watching the movie Kill... And the first time, there's nothing, nothing like seeing your name on the big screen. Nothing like it. I'll never get tired of it. The first time you see it, I was just like a poor kid from St. Paul. My mom was on food stamps. I'm going to get emotional. But seeing that, I was just like, holy fuck. <laughs> I fucking did it. <laughs> it's nuts. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. I mean, I would say Bucky Larson was a fucking disappointment in the sense that, you know, it was this movie I put so much into. I put my fucking heart and soul into this thing. It's my first, like, starring vehicle. And just to have like the hatred and these critics just scathing fucking reviews and then people that would just piggyback on it like just random people commenting like on social media like biggest piece of shit and like you know you cannot say I'm funny one thing I'm fucking not is a bad actor <laughs> That's one thing I'm not. You can watch Bucky Larson and be like, this isn't funny, it sucks. But I fucking committed to that role. Anyway, that was the biggest disappointment. And I had to really rebound just in my head. I had to go just put blinders on and just was like, keep going. Just don't, you know, it tanked the box office. And it was just one of those things where you just had to... You just, you know, there's nothing you could do. It was just like the laughing stock of all this fucking critics and everybody. And I was just like, that was one thing where I was just like, fuck it, man. You gotta, you know, shit happens. Movies bomb, people get hated on, you know. You just gotta keep going. And I remember one of my favorite moments, I was at a diner. And this guy comes up to me and he goes, Nick Swartzen? And I go, yeah. He goes, I just saw Bucky Larson. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> where's this gonna go? And he goes, fucking brilliant. He goes, you were fucking brilliant. He goes, it's one of the fucking funniest movies and you were incredible. And I go, thank you. He goes, I know you're getting a ton of shit for it, 
but he goes, don't worry. He's like, you were really brilliant. He goes, I was a producer on Caddyshack. And he goes, we got crucified too. Everybody shit on us. And we were like, fuck it. And we stood by our movie and people found it. And he's like, stand by that fucking movie and keep your head up. And I was like, I will. <laughs> and that just was like one of the coolest moments. Tell me the first time coming up in the business, a household name person who you respected with every fiber of your body just taps you on the shoulder and tells you something great about yourself. I would say he's not a household name. He should be. But uh, I would say one of the highlights of my career, this is another one of my favorite moments, there's a comedian named Dana Gould. A brilliant comedian. I did my first paid stand-up comedy gig in Cape Cod with Dana Gould. Phenomenal stand-up comic. And he started like Nick when he was a teenager. Yeah, phenomenal comic. Became a producer, writer on The Simpsons. So this was one of my favorite moments like that, like you said. So I'm auditioning for the Aspen Comedy Festival. And it was at Acme Comedy Company in Minnesota. Dana Gould was the headliner. So there was like 10 of us that did like five minutes and then Dana closed the show. So everybody worshiped Dana, still worshiped Dana. Everybody worshiped him. So he's sitting in the green room and I get off stage and uh, I see Dana and I was like, oh, kind of taken aback and he goes what's up I go hey Dana big fan whatever and he goes you won and I go what do you mean he's like you won and I go no there's still like eight more acts going on he's like no you won I go no 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 there's like eight more people Dana goes listen to me <laughs> saw your set heard your set you fucking won and I was like, I don't know, yeah. Fucking, everybody else goes on, they announce the winner, and I won. And uh, <laughs> I see Dana afterwards. I go, holy shit. He goes, I told you. And I go, how? He's just like, because I, I knew. I just knew you were going to fucking, like, it was just, and it was just, it was so fucking cool. I was like, oh, my God. He was just like, yeah. He didn't, he didn't even need to see the other eight people. He just was like, no, this dude's, this is happening. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up on food stamps in not the greatest neighborhood with a broken family and uh, going through trials and tribulations and uh, figuring out his way and getting to the, have the kind of career in stand-up and acting and producing that you've had? And I want to say this because I think it's important because you've been in these rooms as a producer. When you answer that also, think about advice for young comedians and actors and actresses of what it takes, what do they have to do to go into a room and get a job when you're watching them and making the decision. I would say the key to all of it is just confidence. This is the number one thing. It's I just always... Confidence, commitment committing to yourself, whatever, and just, just keep going, creating, and, you know, you're going to eat shit. 
I mean, you're going to fucking, it's inevitable. So you just have to just know you're going to eat shit if you want to get in this business and just walk through the shit. Take your fucking shoes off. Walk through the shit. Because, you know, it's fucking hard. And the thing about this business that, you know, is the greatest thing about this business, but it's also the hardest thing about this business, is that there are no guarantees. <laughs> Nothing's guaranteed. So you have to fucking work and create for it. So a lot of comedians now, it's like, you know, I slept in a fucking bush. I slept in bushes. If you want to get into this comedy, if you're serious, be prepared to sleep in a goddamn bush. Like, that's where you have to, like, that's where you have to go for it. And just believe in yourself. It just sounds corny. It sounds trite, you know, but you just always have to go, you know, stay true to yourself. Stay true to yourself and be confident. You know, you're going to meet crazy people. You're going to meet a bunch of fucking people. But just respect people for who they are. Understand that you're going to meet assholes and they're going to be fucking assholes. But just stay true to yourself and always, always create. You don't have to be a screenwriter, but fucking just create stuff. Always create. You know what I mean? Especially now with YouTube channels and so much so you can film anything on your phone. God, back in the day, you'd have like haul around a camera and fucking VHS tapes. And, you know, now there's such a great outlet. I mean, I tell people like even on Instagram, make fucking videos. Just always create, man. And just be confident with who you are and what you're doing. Nick Swartzen, thank you so much. This has been truly incredible. I love you with all my heart. You're a part of my life. And you changed my life a lot in the early years. And the fact that you could come here and sit with me, it means the world to me. Thank you. Of course. I love you, Barry. You're a part of my life, too. Thanks, buddy. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.